Hey guys, welcome to the Challenge Podcast. I'm Coach Steve. And I'm Coach Nick. And we're going to be talking about everything fitness, health, and the challenge. Let's get on with the show. What's up guys, Coach Steve here, and welcome back to another episode of the Coach's Corner. In today's episode, I'm joined with our co-host, Coach Nick. Nick, how are we doing today? I'm really well, thanks, Coach Steve. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. We are on Coach's Corner, episode number 999. We made it to 99. But Nick, tell me, how is your training coming along? Oh, it's so good. (laughs) So good. How about yours? Oh, look, every every day is a a journey and and excitement. There's the ups and the downs. But uh, no, I think training is what kind of gets me up in the morning, right? What, What I'm excited for. To, to do on that day is to go and train. Of course, I love my family, I love my job, um, but to go and uh, you know get get a get a good workout in and all the endorphins running and all the good stuff like it's just just so good, isn't it, Nick? Yeah, um, I've I've been really working on my legs a lot, but people keep telling me that my upper body looks good, so um, it's great, but slightly disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Nick, maybe you found a found the secret to a good upper body is to train your lower body. Well, that's right. Maybe it is that. I don't know. But um, it's it's a vibe at the moment. So I'll just go with it. <laughs> it's a vibe. I love it. Nick, Coach's mm-hmm. Corner here today. We are running through our tip for the week. So you're in the red corner. I'm in the blue corner. Uh, take us away, Nick. What advice do you have for us this week? All right. So um, as we start to get into the next phase where people are going to be dieting um, even more, you know, reducing their calories, let's just say, um, we have been and we always do get rumbles of I'm hungry and I'm getting tired and uh, things like that. So it's a really good time to practice mindful eating. So that's what I'm talking about today. I'm going to give you a few tips for mindful eating. So sometimes we might have even gotten ourselves into the pickle that we're in, perhaps having a few more kilos than we'd like to, simply because we haven't engaged with what sort of food we're putting into our mouths. We haven't engaged with what we might need versus what we might like to have. We we have that hyperpalatable food, all the things that might have led us to where we are. So it's a really good time to take a step back and practice actually being mindful around our food, the same as we encourage you to be mindful around your training. So if you want to progress with your food and um, get to the next level, there, here are some tips for being mindful around your food. So this one's quite a hard one, the first one. I mean, it's hard, but it's easy. It's in theory easy, but um, the first one is eat without distractions. So avoid eating in front of a screen. Um, so that's even your phone. Now, I can't say I always do that at all. So this is something that I should do too. Um, or a TV. I don't like having the TV on while I'm eating. So that's that's good. Or a computer. And try to focus on the food and the experience of eating. Because even the way that you chew your food can sort of impact later on your digestion, but also your hunger levels because you might have sort of eaten it all whole nearly and still feel hungry, but you haven't given yourself time to actually digest it and um, interact with the food, enjoy the experience of each texture and um, taste and, you know, the hot, the cold, everything. So first one is eat without distractions. Um, The second one, which is really interesting and I think I've spoken about this before, but yeah, if you were told always when you were little, which we probably all were, to eat everything on your plate, 
think about that because you were told to do that and you probably still have that in your head. So pay attention to hunger and fullness cues. So before eating, check in with your body and ask yourself if you're truly hungry and eat until you feel satisfied, not overly full. So truly hungry might be different for everyone. It's sort of that level of perceived hunger. But um, truly hungry for me, my definition of it is could you eat you know, chicken and veggies and um, are, you that, are you that hungry that you could just eat some broccoli and some potatoes and, and not have to worry, you know, and you know that you'll be satiated from that or is it more that you want an ice cream or something like that? And then you can sort of tap into the idea of it maybe being for another reason and um, obviously that's stuff that, that I don't really want to go into because I'm not a food psychologist or anything but there might be some issues around that sort of stuff where you've used food previously, you know, as everybody has as a treat or something like that. So have a think about that as well. So pay attention to your hunger and fullness cues. You could come up with a little scale for yourself, like 10 out of 10 hunger is basically I will eat this chicken as soon as it's cooked. I don't care if it's got any salt on it, whatever. I just need food all the way down to, oh, that someone else in the house is having a piece of chocolate and I want some, you know, so just gauge those cues. Um, this is also the the usual thing that I do, which is preparing people for the end. I want for the end of the challenge. I want you to take this stuff away with you. Um, the next one is engage your senses. So I think I was sort of referring to that before, but um, take the time to smell and taste and appreciate the flavors and textures of your food. And um, this is where you can also experiment with your herbs and your spices and your salts and things like that that um, make the food that you would normally consider maybe not to be that tasty like veggies and things you can make them a little bit tastier and include them into your uh taste library so you know for example i love uh, a nice broccoli with a bit of soy um i think that that really lifts it and it's quite nice um and so i associate broccoli with that that's just one example and for me it's broccolini rather than broccoli and i keep it a bit crunchy so that's one thing that i'll do um the other one which is interesting, uh, which can also help with portion control, is to use small plates and utensils. Now, I'll give you an example of my one. Because I love oats and I could just probably eat a whole bag of oats if I wanted to straight away, like just like a horse. So what I do is I actually put oats in a mug because there's just a mug can only handle so many oats. And so that's sort of my little rule for myself where it's like, okay, a mug is still, it can be quite big, but at least we know that that's enough. I also weigh it and all that stuff. But if I'm eyeballing, then um, I will, that's my little trick for oats. And even something like an ice cream or a yogurt or something, I know that that's your kryptonite, but something like that, I would um, put into uh, just a cup rather than a big bowl because it's too tempting to just eat the whole lot. Um, yeah, take, this is another one that I could do with <laughs> in life. Take breaths between bites. Um, put your utensils down. Even the thought of that is not appealing to me. But for some people, you know, you you really could do with putting your utensils down, particularly if you tend to get sore tummies after eating or anything like that. Sometimes it's because you've rushed your meal. Take a few deep breaths between bites to help slow down your eating. And once again, you can start to, engage with the cues of your body so it's very much like training it's very very similar i'm only i'm talking about food but it's very very similar sometimes you know you, you need to actually pay attention to well not sometimes you need to pay attention to what's going on with your body 
when you're training as well. So think of this as training for your gullet. Um, the next one is focus on the present moment. So try to be fully present while eating. So that's very, very similar to avoid the distractions of the TV and things. Um, yeah, be present with your food, actually engage with it, spend some time with it. If, if you can, um, you know, try and make it into an experience if that is what you need. Now, if you're ticking along nicely and everything's great, you don't have to worry about any of this, but it's just for people that might be saying, oh, I eat because I'm an emotional eater or something. These are some ta some ideas that might be able to help you or you might be working on already. Um, the next one, yeah, is what I've just said. I'm a bit ahead of myself. Uh, appreciate the food and the effort that went into preparing it. So, um I think that that is actually a good one just to slow down, appreciate it. Uh, and then I've sort of changed my mind. I used to kind of say, oh, look, chicken is chicken and broccoli is broccoli and things. But then um, my daughter convinced me, Lucia, she convinced me to make her a cauliflower gratin that was a little bit different to what we might normally have um, with a few spices in it. And she likes to cook with spices and some garlic powder and things like that. And I thought, you know what, this actually tastes quite nice. So she's right. I don't have to punish myself with no flavors ever just because I'm a bit of a, a bland cooker, I guess you could say, you know, it's actually engaging with the food and then you can appreciate it. You can go, wow, that spice, that texture is really nice what I've done. So well done to me. And then um, the final one I would say is we always say this, um, there's no such thing as a clean or a dirty food. So we don't, we don't go down that road. So you don't have to be judgmental about the food. Um, I think if you can just approach your eating without judgment or criticism uh, and just see it as for what it is and once you've done whatever you've done with your food, you move on. You don't ruin the whole day just because you've had an ice cream or, you, you know, that kind of a thing. You just see it as a bunch of numbers, a bunch of, bunch of macros chucked together and it's an equation just like anything is and sometimes some foods are more conducive to your goals in the long run but it's okay you can still have that so be compassionate and kind towards yourself but at the same time go back to the start and remember to eat without distractions so just sit down be mindful and stay present with your food especially as we get to that next hunger level you want to appreciate every bite you don't want to be rushing it and also just slow down mm-hmm the end. Nick with the goods again, mm -hmm. talking a lot about mindful eating. I have uh, a practice that I do frequently, which is uh, what I call the perfect bite. So once you created your meal or prepared your dinner, or whatever you're about to eat, you start by creating the perfect bite on a fork or a spoon or whoever you're choosing to eat that food. So you might get the perfect cut of, I don't know, chicken, the perfect piece of broccoli and put it together and you build the perfect bite. And just that, that practice takes time, you know, sitting there and you're, you're pl almost playing with your food as you kind of like prepare this perfect bite. And then you might look at it and smell it and go, mm, and then you, you take that bite. Right. So that's just a way of like slowing down and engaging with the food once again. Um, and you know, that kind of bleeds into maybe without getting too very, uh, Instagram -y, um, making your food look pretty, right? Like if you were to take a moment to 
plate your food like you would in a in a restaurant maybe you add some garnish you know make it instagram worthy right very similar to creating the perfect bite if you take a moment to prepare your food and make it look nice rather than sometimes uh you know nick i love uh my oats in the morning too but sometimes it just looks like uh you know some 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 garb that i might serve in like a a a movie gruel. prison yeah a gruel yeah. in like a a prison movie or something like that right so it's like mm-hmm. it's like it's not very nice to look at but it tastes delicious yeah so um if you take a moment to make it look really nice smell really nice maybe get that perfect bite it just adds to this whole sensory experience of eating then once you've finished your food you may feel more satisfied more satiated and be like yeah i'm actually not that that hungry that satisfied me i'm i'm i was present in the moment i'm not reaching for more food and i think that's the big takeaway for mindful eating is eating enough experiencing the food enough that we're not craving more at the end of it. Yeah, and also just respecting the food uh, for what it is. You know, if you make a treat out of your your chicken, you know, if you if you do put some nice herbs and spices on it and things, you, you may not be then looking for other treats. So, yeah, good. So good. Nick, I would like to take the microphone here and talk about a concept, another concept called the stimulus to fatigue ratio, SFR, stimulus to fatigue ratio. So as the name implies, we're looking at the combination, the ratio between the stimulus of an exercise and the fatigue of an exercise and how they uh, play two parts in our exercise selection. Okay. So it really is a reflective process. This concept is a reflective process of the exercises that we choose. We can go down a path and reflect on how stimulating an exercise is and then reflect on how fatiguing an exercise is. And the ultimate goal is we want to be choosing an exercise that is highly stimulative and low fatiguing. <laughs> uh, so very well, really high stimulus, really low fatigue. That's the ultimate goal. Now, Sometimes due to, uh, you know, equipment or body types or execution of, of certain exercises, um, it flips the other way where an exercise becomes extremely fatiguing and not very stimulative, uh, which can lead to negative outcomes. Um, so if uh, exercise is really uh, fatiguing, similar concept to what I spoke about last week about the highway of recovery, we just have more to recover from, right? Uh, And it can start to take away from our performance and our ultimate goal of of training, which is adaptation, right? So let's take a a short deep dive that you got an oxymoron, a little bit of a dip into uh, first fatigue and then talk about stimulus and how we can reflect on these kind of concepts to help us choose better exercises for our training, okay? Now, a little sidestep before we jump into the pool. When it comes to training, you know, we we want to be following a, a framework for training. There's no one recipe or rule or must-do exercises or bad exercises. Different exercises can be appropriate for different people and different times in their training lifetime, okay? So uh, we this is one reason why the 
challenge training programs may look kind of uh, similar across phases because it's a framework, you know, we've got uh, a certain type of exercise and as we move into the next phase, it's a, it's a slightly different exercise, but it's still the same like flavor of that exercise because we want to be sticking to the same like concept, same framework and then continuing that over time. But we can make changes to an exercise based on things like the stimulus to fatigue ratio, okay? So we're stepping back to the middle. We're gonna take our, our short dive into the concept of fatigue, how fatiguing is an exercise. So there's three kind of areas around where we can reflect on how fatiguing an exercise is. The first one, of course, is the perceived exertion of that exercise. So if you are gonna complete an exercise and you just feel that it just takes so much effort to do that exercise okay uh you know maybe some common examples are like things like deadlifts really high effort activity maybe things like split squats bulgarian split squats people love to hate them it's just because it's a very fatiguing exercise um maybe even things like i don't know a, a plank not a common exercise that we place on our programs but it can be a very fatiguing exercise uh so take a moment once you've completed an exercise and reflect how much effort did it take to complete that exercise and not just oh i was able to load it really heavy and i i pushed it really hard and that's a 10 out of 10 effort i'm talking about when you do a certain exercise like maybe you hop on a, a certain type of leg press and you go to complete that leg press and you just feel like oh man it's just taken everything out of me it's just so fatiguing uh but you might swap that to like a hack squat and you're like oh geez this is just built for me it's low effort i can load the thing up i can get a really good stimulus out of this um and it's not a really big effortful task so that's the first kind of area to reflect on how much uh, perceived effort or, or exertion does it take in a particular set now this kind of goes into the world of maybe like the setups do an exercise as well. So if you have a really elaborate setup, like um, maybe a, a Nordic curl or something something similar, or a, a, you know one of those machines that are closer to like a spaceship, Nick, you've seen those ones that are like double-decker school bus machines. Uh, if it's a really big effort to complete that exercise, okay, it may be more fatiguing in this kind of concept, okay? The next area to consider is the uh, effect an exercise has on things like our joints, our connected tissue, and kind of how our body feels. Okay, so you may have gone on on an exercise or a certain machine and completed it, and you just feel like, oh, geez, I just, I just feel this in my knees. I feel it in my elbows. My wrist just doesn't like this. You know, I, I feel it uh, a high amount in my low back. Uh, you know, certain exercises might not just be made for us and that's okay. Um, some certain exercises just really like beat up certain joints, especially things like maybe plyometric style exercises. Um, and they add uh, elements of fatigue to things like joints and connective tissues, okay? The final area to consider is synergist muscles or muscles that aren't the target muscle. How involved are they? And a classic one is, when you go to complete, let's say, a barbell back squat, you're completing squats, you, you, you finish your set, 
you feel it in your quads, but then God, God, you feel it also in like the erector spinae, like in the back muscles, and you just feel it all through the upper back, and you maybe feel it even on your shoulders where the barbell was resting on as well. This adds extra fatigue and and, and scales up the uh, the fatigue cost of doing that activity versus another type of activity for the quadriceps, like just say a a, a leg extension. You sit down and, and kick your leg, a different fatigue cost to doing like a barbell back squat. So there's the three main components to the accumulative fatigue. One would be the perceived effort of the set. Two is the uh, effect it has on, on joints and connected tissues. And uh, just touching on that again, you know, we want to be feeling it in the, in the muscle, not like the joint. And you kind of feel the difference, right? If you're doing leg extensions, you kind of feel the difference of when you feel it in your in your knee versus you feel it in your quad, right? It's a different feeling. Uh, and then finally, thinking about synergist muscles or mu muscles that aren't the target muscles. How involved are they? And do you feel the same um, uh, disruption in those types of tissues as well? Okay. So we reflect on these types of concepts of fatigue. Uh, difficult to give them a rating or a number, um, but, uh, you know, we can kind of think about that fatigue element and go, okay, yeah, yeah, when I do a deadlift, gosh, it takes a lot of effort. I feel it in my, my hips and my, my low back, my, my shoulders even feel on the deadlift. Ugh. And then, you know, when you're doing the deadlift, it's like your forearms are just burning like crazy. Okay, really high level of fatigue for the deadlift. Okay. Now we can shift the conversation into the stimulus, okay? So some exercises have a really high fatigue cost, but then also have a really high stimulus cost, uh, a stimulus opportunity as well. So we can weigh up that choice and go, well, this exercise, maybe a barbell back squat, is a really, 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 really high stimulus, but then also maybe a moderate fatigue cost. So the ratio between those two is really large, and that might be a good exercise choice versus the other way around, where if you're trying to do deadlifts for your glutes, um, you have a really high fatigue cost, but then you barely feel it in your glutes. Uh, you know, we're kind of losing time here. It might not be a wise choice for the glutes to train the glutes, okay, example. So in stimulus, we have three areas to consider, Nick. We have firstly, the mind-muscle connection. So if you do, um, let's say a, a, a bicep curl and you choose to do maybe a, a standing dumbbell bicep curl versus like a preacher curl, you know, one of those little uh, angled pads and you rest your elbows on there like a preacher curl. Uh, and then something like maybe an incline curl where you, you set up a, a an incline bench, you lay back onto it, you let your arms kind of hang past your body and then you do a curl, curl that way. Um, so if you compare maybe those three bicep curl versions, yeah, you're probably going to feel your biceps in all of those, but you may find that one of those for you, the way that you execute that and, the, and the certain equipment that you may have available to you, just like, geez, you just feel it in your, your, your biceps. It's just bang, you feel it. Versus the other ones, yeah, you feel it in your biceps, but you know, maybe you feel it more in your forearms or your shoulders and such. So a reflective process for stimulus, the first area is that mind-muscle connection. How well can you feel that muscle contracting, okay? Now, when it comes to my muscle connection, it's not always like that gold standard, most important thing. You can get a really great stimulus, um, you know, by not feeling that muscle or not feeling the tension in the muscle. And especially when we are uh, maybe a novice first time in the gym, 
you have so many things going on. Like, you know, you're trying to figure out how to actually bend your elbow under control, holding this weight. If I'm selling you, Hey, did you feel it in your bicep? You're like, uh, I, maybe, I don't know. Like I felt a lot of things going on. So, um, that mind muscle connection reflective process, it does come with time, especially as we become more internally focused on what's going on with our body. Mm. The next area to consider is the, uh, what we call like the disruption in the muscle. So, in contrast with the fatigue, we're talking about disruption in the joint connected tissue. We're talking about the disruption in the muscle. So if you are, and I do this, Nick, um, going on, on maybe a, a, a leg machine like a hack squat, you do a set on the hack squat and to get out of the hack squat, you look like a, a, a baby gazelle coming into the world for the very first time. That's a really good exercise, right? So when I go do something like a, a hack squat, I would do my set and, you know, once I take a step off of that machine, my legs are just, yeah, I've just, it's done. It's cooked. It's well done. Uh, in, 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 it's out of there. I, I look like a little baby gazelle or like a giraffe learning to walk for the very first time. Okay. So that's a really high level of muscle disruption occur to me in my quadriceps. And then I guess my lower body where in contrast, you might do a certain exercise. Um, let's say a, a chest type exercise, you're doing a, a machine chest press of some variety. Okay. But this certain type of machine, it's just, you know, you can't get the angle right. The hand positions aren't right. You know, it just doesn't have a good range of motion. And you, you do your set and you're like, oh, I just, I don't really feel much going on. I don't feel like my, my chest or my shoulders or my triceps have actually had some disruption to it. Uh, so maybe that exercise might not be the most stimulative for you, okay? The final area we've had my muscle connection, we've had the muscle disruption. The final area is the perceived pump, okay? Perceived pump and the, the pump, you know, that engorgement of the muscle where, you know, it's filled up with, with blood and metabolites, you know, it feels like the, the skin's about to, I don't know, rip around that muscle, the pump sensation where almost it's it's hard to like flex that muscle. That's that's the pump, okay? Now, again, similar to my muscle connection, the pump is, isn't the most important thing in the world, um, but uh, if you've never experienced the pump in a certain muscle, and that muscle is the lag, like a lagging point. Like let's say your quads, you've identified that maybe your quads aren't growing as well as you want them to. And you've never experienced the pump in your quads. Ah, uh, well, maybe you need to find exercises that are more stimulative for you so that you can experience the, the pump. Okay. So, um, when we experience the pump, it's often correlated with things like, um, a really high mind muscle connection, really high muscle disruption, um, uh, really good loading of the muscle training close to, to failure, really good volume prescription to the muscle. So we're ticking lots of good boxes for stimulus while we're having the pump. Okay. So, uh, the pump being present can be a sign of, Hey, you're done good, okay? So if you've got like a, a pump in your quads or a pump in your chest or a pump in your biceps, hey, that was probably a stimulative set, okay? So now we have these like moving parts with our fatigue and our stimulus. And again, you know, it's hard to quantify it, put numbers to it, but it's more of a reflective process. And you go, okay, how stimulative was this exercise in terms of the mind-muscle connection, the pump and muscle disruption versus how fatiguing was this exercise compared to how much effort it took for me to do this, um, the, the involvement of other muscles in that exercise and you know the disruption to joints and connective tissues, how beat up do I feel afterwards? 
And once we can start to map out different exercises, we might find, yeah, geez, man, that that version of the hack squat at this particular gym is just the, the best thing for my quads versus this other leg press machine at this other gym, oh, I just, I just don't feel it, right? Or, you know, this chest press machine is, I uh, just don't like it, you know, it hurts my shoulders, blah, 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 versus this maybe pec deck machine, oh, Jesus Christ, I get the gnarliest chest pump ever. So now we can start to map out our training and our exercise selection, where if we do an exercise, maybe it's prescribed in the challenge, or maybe it's prescribed on a program you find online, and you think, geez, just, it's so fatiguing, I hate doing this, I don't like it, hey, it's okay. You can swap it. You can swap it for an exercise with a greater stimulus to fatigue ratio. And the biggest takeaway here is that training should be a framework and we need tools like the stimulus fatigue ratio to help us to make better decisions about what exercises we should be doing. You may find that the stimulus gets better over time as we learn how to execute the exercise better, um, or maybe we, uh, you know, adjust a machine better so that it, it fits to our di dimensions better. So um, once you do an exercise once, you can't label it as a poor uh, stimulus to fatigue ratio and then put it on the shelf and never do that exercise again. You may find if you practice that exercise for two, three, four weeks that the stimulus gets crazy high. And you're like, oh my gosh, I, I, I finally feel this good morning exercise. Oh man, this is what people are talking about, about the hamstrings. Whereas the start, you might be like, oh, I just feel in my low back. I just don't get it. Now I'm not gonna practice this thing, okay? So it's a reflective process. It can change over time, but hopefully it can help you with your decision-making process of what exercise to choose for your program. Yeah, for sure. Uh, um, I think that really illustrates why you need to stick with the same exercises for longer than a few weeks um, to progress because otherwise you, you, you might just be learning the movement pattern, the way that it feels, the way it interacts and all the other variables in a gym where you, you might be, you know, it might be busy. So you might not be using it for as long as you might like to. So you might be rushing it. So you need some time with each exercise to see how it fits for you. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. And, you know, the execution of the exercise from, you know, the range of motion to, um, you know, how controlled you take that eccentric and the, the concentric portion, like the, the lowering and the lifting phase. Um, and then the different equipment you use, you may find that, hey, you know, when I use a barbell, it's very different to a dumbbell versus the cables. And you may find that when you do a different piece of equipment, like, I don't know, the resistance band, you're like, oh, geez, that was so aggressive right so there are variables we can change there's ways that we could practice the movement to get better at it but ultimately we're driving for the most stimulus we can get out of an exercise with the least fatigue that may come with it um, and there are ways that we can minimize fatigue like you know we could use more stable exercises let's say you compare a barbell back squat to maybe a hack squat, hack squat, a little more stable, less moving parts, easier to perform because you just strap yourself in, bend your knee and go. Barbell back squat, okay, you've got to find the position of the barbell, unrack it, step it out, find your balance, lower yourself down, stand back up. Um, you know, choosing a more stable exercise will lead to lower fatigue costs and potentially more stimulus. So for hypertrophy, it might be better to lean towards more stable exercises than instable ones. Um, but it's all logistical conversation, right? So lots of moving parts, interesting way to reflect 
and it can help our decision-making process, Nick. Good. So much valuable information today. I hope everybody has got their pens and paper and and reviews it all. <laughs> <laughs> no, love it. Anytime. But look, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Nick covered uh, our mindful approach to eating. I was talking a lot about the stimulus fatigue ratio. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know. And we'll catch you next week for episode number 10. Ooh, double digits. Woohoo. Great. Thanks for tuning in, guys. If you like the show, share it with a friend. Or leave us a review on iTunes to spread the good word. See you next time.